Welcome to episode 77 of The Numbers Game. I'm Jason. I'm here with Nick and Marty. How are we going today, guys? Number seven? Lucky numbers for anyone? Oh, yeah. Very lucky number seven, if you if you like that number, I guess. But uh, <laughs> feeling good, Jace. Uh, looking forward to sharing some strategy today uh, that I think the, the listeners will enjoy. So, but yeah, all good. How about yourself, Nick? I'm going well. Uh, just turning 40. I know I bought up the other day. I was creeping up on 40, but... Just looking at the dates, making sure they line up. But uh, yeah, mate, 40. 40 is a new uh, 30. 30 is a new 20. So 60 is a new 50. And, well, 50 is a new 60. So, oh, mate, just... Uh, <laughs> well, no, 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 I'm saying, like... So, sorry. You said 50 is the new 60. Oh, did <laughs> I? Sorry. Oh, I got confused. Mate. I'm just mate. I'm just reading Blue Ocean, Red Ocean and just... I'm, <laughs> Really intrigued about what you're going to talk about today, so I'm a bit confused. But where no, I was going look. with that is, I'm just turning forty, and I'm just—I feel—and I'm not just saying this is me, but I feel like forty isn't what it used to be. Like I—I I do remember growing up. Um, you know, I—I I grew up in a regional area, so you know, you had the stubby holders at the fortieth birthday with "Over the Hill" written on them. Whoever's birthday <laughs> it was got the "Over the Hill" T-shirt. So that's obviously a thing of the past, but. I feel like growing up when my parents and my uncles and aunties were turning 40, it was like literally they were on the downslide. So they were literally <laughs> over the hill and I feel like they were a lot older than me. And I look around now at my mates um, and my circle of friends and I feel like 40 is not what it used to be. Um, and what I was going with, Marty, is 50 is not what, not what it used to be. 50 is probably more like the 40. So that's where I was going with that. But... Um, I don't know. What do you think, Jace? You're, I know you're not quite forty, but you're getting there. Oh, um, oh. yeah. Is it is it the the lines on my eyes that are giving it away? No, I'm 35 shortly. I'm going to be celebrating 35 over in the UK the day before mine and Case's wedding anniversary, which we're going to a wedding on the same day um, over in the UK. But um, turning 35, I agree, Nick. And it actually brought back some really funny memories then talking about um, my dad's 40th. I remember being there thinking, geez, these people are so old. Like if I'm ever 40 and I behave like these people, this is this is just, you know, out of control. And now I'm, I'm looking at yeah, 40 just going... Mate, there's no way that I'm comparing like my dad and his mates at his 40th to like me and my mates these days. And I think my dad and my uncle ended up having like a WWE wrestling match on our back deck at some time in the morning. And I know mum and dad were, I don't think I truly understood what a hangover was back then, but I definitely think my mum and dad were experiencing a hangover the day after his 40th. And, and now there's some connection I can make. But I agree, Nick, 40, not not what it used to be, I reckon. Well, and, well um, pe- people keep saying to me, like, and if I hear it one more time, I'm ready to belt someone. <laughs> it's like, you're, you know, you're you're like a good wine. You're like a good <laughs> wine, mate. And, and I go, what, like got hair on your shoulders and a saggy cork? Is that is that because that's what 50 is. It's like everything, like you... It's funny when you're 40, you still feel like you're connected to your 30s and 20s. And then one day you get up and you look in the mirror and you go, what's all this grey hair? And you go, it's, it's like a, a shock and you, you, it's just weird. All of a sudden you hit that patch and you go, gee, everyone seems to be operating a lot faster than me all of a sudden when I used to feel like I operated at that optimal level. So you just have to, it's like how I describe it is, Sometimes you used to open the batting at cricket. Sometimes you've got to accept your role at the number six position and just make a healthy contribution to the team. And it's like they're the sort of things you have to adjust using all the wisdom you've picked up over 
the years. But it's certainly, uh, it's not, yeah, definitely it's not the new 60, but I, I feel like I'm in real time at 50. Anyway, enough about age. <laughs> Let's talk, into, let's talk into some old man strategy here. Uh, I, I was reading a piece during the, during the week which I thought was pretty relevant in more challenging markets for business owners and thinking, all right, what could we, what could we give people and what could we utilise in our own businesses to keep testing ourselves and getting better? And I come across this piece called Blue Ocean Strategy and I really, I actually really liked it. And I'll give you a little bit of context. Uh, Blue Ocean Strategy is a simultaneous pursuit of differentiation. I can never say that word, differentiation. And low cost to open up a new market space and create new demand. Uh, it's about capturing and creating uncontested market space, thereby making the competition irrelevant. It is based on the view that market boundaries and industry structure are not a given and can be reconstructed by the actions and beliefs of industry players. So I really like this on two components. They talk about red oceans as well. And red oceans are when you're in an existing ecosystem of industry where there's high competition in the space, the boundaries are defined through regulation, and it's very, the only way to outperform your rivals is basically trying to take their market share. So the blue ocean strategy was really appealing because it was about, okay, given what you have as a business, uh, how do you create an uncontested market space which we always look to do how do you make competition irrelevant by what you're producing and how do you create and capture new demand to the business uh, and break the value cost trade-off that you usually do in in systems and businesses that have been around forever and a day and align the whole system of a firm's activities in pursuit of that difference at low cost um, and setting yourself apart in the market. Um, I really like this and when I was reading it, I thought the two areas, I, I thought about it a little bit differently. Yes, you can create a new market given where you're at um, because you've got the costing foundations of the existing business and you can create a high margin entry point into something where there's no competition. But I also like the idea of thinking around a blue ocean strategy in regards to how to differentiate your own business service of where it's at and how you can take it to a new level by advancing it, which other competitors might not be thinking about as well. So this was the, the piece was written very much about um, creating a secondary angle of high margins resting on the foundation of cost of what you have. But I also like the application to taking the existing business and what can you do um, to really create a market leading service and product that no one else is thinking of. So yeah, I just thought a little bit of an interesting topic. We've talked about this in regards to creating additional revenue streams of business in the past, but I think this is more a mental strategic piece that um, so often we get busy, you don't, you don't always think about. So uh, Jace, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, Marty, originally when you talked about red ocean, blue ocean, when we we're doing some episode planning, I, I was struggling to grasp it. And I think it was now that I can, I can feel an example coming out of me and uh, a, a blue ocean strategy example was Tesla. Now it's making sense to me. So um, he was basically starting 
to create an uncontested market space. 2001, he said he wanted to put an electric vehicle in the driveway at low cost of every single home in the world, basically. He wanted for like $30,000, he wanted an electric vehicle available for every single home to help climate change and help the planet and get rid of basically using fuel. So he was creating an uncontested market space. He was making the competition irrelevant because if you wanted an electric vehicle, you weren't going to Ford or you know BMW or Mercedes at the time. He created and captured a new market. The electric vehicle market did not bloody exist. He broke the value cost trade-off because he was trying to make it at a low cost and he aligned the whole system for a pursuit of differentiation at low cost. He didn't come out and say, I want to make the most premium, expensive electric vehicles. He was the very definition or what, what Elon Musk did with Tesla was the very definition of blue ocean strategy. And I think for me, having that real life example now makes me get it. It's a totally uncontested market space that he entered into and the book that I read that now all this is coming back to me was called Power Play. It's Elon Musk, Tesla, and the bet of the century. And it, and it goes through the whole 2001 timeline to then where he's at today and how basically he nearly went bankrupt over and over and over again for this pursuit of creating an electric vehicle that he wanted to put in the home of every single person who wanted one at a low cost. Um, phenomenal. I like it, mate. I reckon that's an absolute ripper. And I look, I guess then when you flick over to the red ocean strategy to start to think about it as well, um, trying to think, you know, maybe Nick might be ready for an example of a red ocean strategy potentially, but an existing market space, beat the competition and exploit existing demand. So, um, and make the most of the value cost trade-off. So yeah, really interesting stuff. Nick, what have, what are your thoughts? Does, does the Tesla example help to, to break that down a little bit too of, of, yeah, yeah, you and got it. you're a smart guy. No, no, no. Well, you know, it depends who you talk to. But um, I, um, I've got another example, and it's in our industry. Um, so I'm not. I'm actually not sure if this fits into blue ocean or red ocean. Um, and maybe Marty, you can help me out here. But the example I give is, you know, we've been talking about um, small business lending the last uh, few episodes. Um, but if we go back a couple of years ago. To get a small business loan, you needed to go to a bank, uh, generally a major bank. Um, if you wanted a hundred thousand dollars, it'd be a anywhere from three to three to six to seven to eight week process, depending. Um, what we had a couple of years ago is we had these online lenders come out, and what they did to to disrupt is not only were they a lot faster, but the way that they made a decision. Um, was was AI and tech based. So you know, instead of giving two years of financials to your business banker and the business banker going to the credit person and the credit person then going to a higher authority because of the industry it was in, um, what happens now is you grab your bank statements, call it six months worth of trading statements, you put them into a system. The system says you're automatically approved for this amount of business lending and you've basically got that money in your account within a couple of days. So you can go from having no business loan to business loan in a week, and all you're doing is you're you're sending them some transaction history, which you can download. Um, you can download online. So that was that completely changed uh, the way business lending was done to small businesses. Um, and I'm I would suggest it's probably three years ago that that started, and there's some new players coming in now. And what happened is when that 
when those new players came in, their rates were quite high. Their interest rates were quite high because there was no competition. As we've seen more and more players come in, it's getting a little bit easier to get that money than it was. The rates are getting a little bit cheaper. So would that be a, a red ocean strategy, Marty, because it's in an existing marketplace uh, that, exploiting demand? Yeah. I think that's a I think still, that's a blue ocean strategy, Nick. Yep. Yeah, because of the fact that you know everything was very much set and forget in the banking world, and they were trying to rip you know clients off each other really. Um, so this access to funds, which was a market need and market demand for business owners, one of the biggest bugbear of business owners was the length of time it took to get money um, from the banks. So uh, this coming in certainly gave access to funds a lot quicker and business is very dynamic and you have to jump on opportunity when it presents. Um, so people could just get access to funds. They were prepared to pay the price on that if it was higher in order for the access to funds because of what they could create off that access. So it's, um, it was certainly a blue ocean strategy and now you find the major lenders are trying to buy them up in some degrees mm. to, to not miss out on the, on the party. But it definitely, um, it definitely is a blue ocean strategy off an existing market. So I think, um, I think that was very clever as well. And and I was even thinking to our own business, Nick and Jace, you probably reflect on your own, but I think about the blue ocean strategy around having financial planning as well as uh, consumer finance and home loans, and having business finance um, and having the the diversity of people's capability, like having a trusted resource in all those areas, but to have the same experience um, in in what Innovate provides clients as that professional service throughout. And also in regards to just ideas around, you know, having a, a great back office, not only an international team, but an in-house team, having five managers to work on the business, um, constantly evolving the business and then also having a marketing strategy to have leads come in, which then our, our team's good enough to create more opportunities off. So you think about when you're adapting it to an existing, like I think about the one or two people broking firms out there, which is fine, you know, they, they can get along, but they just haven't got that scope of capability to really widen their width in the market, regardless if it's a challenging market or a vibrant market, we can still make great inroads off that. So I think there's blue ocean strategy even within the functionality of how you run different components of the business that can set a big moat around your business as a point of difference um, where you capture you know, you, you capture new markets because yep. of the diversity in services and people. So, so I think you can apply it to a total mm. additional product that wasn't there before at high margins, or you can look to leverage what's there in a new way and use the technique accordingly. Jace, does that resonate? Yeah, definitely. And and finding some more examples, my, my brain's actually kind of ticking now. I think I'm almost ready for the second coffee. Um, it, I think understanding red ocean, blue ocean strategy is actually really important. Um, and this is such an interesting episode. So Apple was a red ocean strategy when they were just making desktops, laptops, computers, accessory. It was red ocean. It was competing against everyone else. When they became blue ocean was when they launched the iPhone the iWatch, the iPad. There was nobody else doing it. They went blue ocean strategy and created a different market, something new. So at the time when they launched the iPad, Microsoft was like, nah, we did that. Nobody was interested in, in a handheld little pad screen. Microsoft thought that was stupid. 
and Apple went out and did it and created this new market for it. And then the rest of the competitors follow. A red ocean competitor is Samsung. Samsung sit back, sit back and wait. They sit back and wait and see what the competition does. Samsung watched all the other TV producers produce these big flat screen TVs. They watched Apple produce iPhones and they sat back and waited and went, we're going to learn. We're going to learn. And then we're going to go red ocean. We're going to get in the market and beat them at it or at least compete, compete really, really well with a differentiated product or a lower cost version. Another blue ocean example, because this shit's really interesting, is Netflix. Netflix were blue ocean. They they started off, you know, sending DVDs and, and the rest, but they created a online subscription version of, you know, and basically killed Blockbuster and Video Easy. So I think as business owners taking it back to to ourselves and our and our listeners, it's understanding red ocean and blue ocean. And and, and basically being able to implement either one of these strategies in your business today to create and to differentiate. Um, you know, I can think of some some examples of an accounting firm level, for example, is you can be an accounting firm, you can do compliance, you can do tax returns and BASs and everything else. But where you may have some differentiation and to be able to compete, it's an existing market, but it's something you can do to beat your competition might be to launch a virtual CFO service. I know that we quite often get clients go, what's next? What's the next level? Almost channeling back to our subscription episode with Mercedes, but what's the next level of subscription that we can subscribe to with our accountant? And it might be to add on monthly management meetings, quarterly reporting, virtual CFO, advisory boards. And that's bringing it back to, to our level. Uh, a client that, that I thought was a really exciting one, this is probably more blue ocean, You know, getting into an uncontested market space was Mr. Yum. I don't know if you've been to local pubs and cafes and seen the little QR codes. Before COVID happened, they were the first ones kind of getting out there, putting QR codes on every menu and every table at pubs and bars and restaurants. All of a sudden COVID hit and it was better to be, you know, less contact, you know, less staff that were available. So all of a sudden having customers in a restaurant be able to QR code and order their own food from their table without having to get too close face-to-face to grab their order Bang, Misty Yum exploded. Blue Ocean. Nobody else was doing it. Super interesting stuff, Marty. I love it. Thanks, mate. I think, uh, Nick, what, what are your thoughts in regards to the strategy? Um, well, I think I think a lot of listeners will be sitting back going, uh, if they're business owners, shit, I can't be Blue Ocean. We're talking about Netflix. We're talking about Apple, you know. Um, so, but... I, I'm just thinking, again, I'm thinking about our business. I know you've already brought it up, Marty, but think about your own business and what you can do that's that's unique mm. and think about what you can actually make work. So if you can't make Blue Ocean strategy work, there's nothing wrong with Red Ocean um, no, if, it's, if, 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 if that works for you. And I think one of the things you've got here, um, Jace, you mentioned this the other day while talking about this episode and um, getting the content ready was, but the plumber or the fridge mechanic story, and one of the things that's got here with uh, Red Ocean is make the value versus cost trade off. So, you know, what is someone willing to pay um, for the for your value or for the for the for the value that you add? So, you know, if the market cost uh, for a financial planner is three thousand dollars per year, how do you how do you make your value five or six thousand dollars? So I'm just thinking about our business owners and they're going, well, I'm in the business. I can't really, I'm not going to go create a subscription business, but maybe Red Ocean strategy is right for you. It doesn't have to be Blue Ocean. So maybe, mm-hmm. Jace, talk us through that um, 
the plumber and the hammer uh, e- example because I, I think that's really good for our existing business owners to think to, to, to get their mind ticking on what they can do. And hopefully I nail the story and give it justice because, um, look, and I love it, the Red Ocean strategy when you talk about uh, pricing based on value rather than, than the cost trade-off. So, you know, putting that into perspective of, you know, let's say you've got a fridge mechanic who charges an hourly rate versus a fridge mechanic that mechanic that knows his value or her value for the time, energy, effort, and studies and research and, and job experience they've got. So the story was... Um, it's the urban myth, urban legend story of there was this restaurant that had a fridge with hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of dry aged meat and stock on hand and the fridge broke down and he called around all these different fridge mechanics and, and most of them didn't know about this fridge or how to repair it. And he got onto one and said, yep, I can come down and take a look at it. This fridge mechanic rocks up to the restaurant, sees the value of all of this stock that's going to go to waste. It's hundreds of thousands of dollars. And he's got specialist knowledge of this particular fridge. And he said to the restaurateur, the owner, he said, yep, cool. It's going to be $10,000 to fix this fridge. And the restaurateur was like, mate, of course, $10,000. No worries. I'm happy to pay that. Hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of stock about to go to waste. And the fridge mechanic opened up the, the chamber to where all the different bits and pieces were hidden behind a metal sheet. And he banged it with a hammer in this particular spot and the fridge came to life. And the restaurateur said, I'm not paying you $10,000 to hit that thing with a hammer. And he goes, I want an itemized bill. He goes, sure, no worries. Itemized bill was handed to the restaurant owner. It said $50 hitting the fridge with the hammer. $9,950 knowing where to hit the fridge with the hammer. So his value in this story was that his knowledge that he'd picked up over time and all his experience of knowing exactly what was wrong with that particular model of fridge, knowing where to hit it with the hammer to get it to come back on and working properly, that's what he charged, his value, not his hourly rate. He, any other fridge mechanic could have walked in on that day and charged you know, $100 service call-out fee for his 10 minutes that he was there. But this guy knew his value. The restaurant owner saved a couple of hundred thousand dollars worth of stock from going to waste and time, everything goes on. Now, for some people, they may feel a bit uneasy about charging value versus charging their hourly rate. But this is a big issue in, in many professional services and, and many you know trades and construction, everything else of the, the value of your hourly rate at time versus the value of your knowledge, your education, your skills, You know, being able to charge appropriately for that. So I think that's a great example, Nick. Hopefully I did that story justice from a red ocean and, and charging value point of view. And I'll, I'll just, um, and I'm not saying this is this is the right way to do things but you just look at the the trades at the moment so mm. you've got a massive supply and demand issue so all of a sudden if you want to get a a plumber or if you want to get a, a bricklayer or whatever you want to uh, have come into your business all of a sudden their prices have jacked right up because mm-hmm. they've got the ability to to pick and choose what jobs they do now i i understand that but why why if you're a in really high demand all the time as a tradesperson, why wait? Like, why you're charging more now because everyone else has, and you, and you think it's okay. So maybe you need to relook at your costs or your um your quotes or your or your price based on the value you think you're adding. If you if you're someone that's always in high demand, then there's a reason for that. So yeah, I, I and I think that 
that that fridge mechanic story is the best way to explain it. I think it's really cool. It is, and even from an individual salesperson, you know, like I said, a lot of people can write a mortgage out there, right? So I go, I, you know, the 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 thing is to think about what do you bring to the table as a point of difference? Are you showing people how to reduce their debt? Are you educating them into their next investment property? Are you utilizing the people around you to ensure people are protecting themselves against their debt and building their investments for the future? It's so much more than a transaction. So you've got to know where to bang that hammer. And it's um, and I, I really like that when you're thinking as an individual salesperson, like the real estate agent that sells the house in two days. You go, oh, two days, it sold itself. Well, no, it didn't. They had buyers. They had a marketing system that brought that buyer to the table. You should be absolutely delighted that it sold in two days and saved you a hell of a lot of stress waiting for two months on someone that didn't have those bluation capabilities. So that's the way to think about it. Coaches as well. I was in that industry. It was notorious for charging by the hour. Mm. It's like you know, people people didn't understand their value based on their past experience. In that, you know, if you could package it up and show that business how to grow and know the valuation of that business on that growth and have a methodology to achieve it, that's saving people five six years. You can't charge that by the hour. It's crazy. And that's like your business. I know, Jace, you've got ideas around the virtual CFO and things like that of where you can really help business owners that don't have that type of guidance. And I, I love those ty- that type of thinking and those ideas because you bring a different flavour to the whole business that's relevant and there's a direct need. So, yeah, it's been a great discussion, boys. 100% Marty. Well, I'm really appreciative of you bringing red ocean strategy and blue ocean strategy to the table. I think if we look at Google trends uh, in the next couple of weeks, there's going to be a spike in Googling of red ocean strategy and blue ocean strategy. I know I was one of the statistics just then sitting there plugging away, grabbing some examples. If you've liked this episode, please remember to like us, follow us and share us to your friends and family. We're here to provide value and that's exactly what we hope we're bringing. Give us some feedback if you think that or otherwise. Five-star reviews are the better ones that we appreciate. But for now, it's been episode 77 of The Numbers Game and until next time... Grab your hammer. Bang away, game over.